Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thursday night, you know, that's what that means. It's time for the MMA Strategy Show right here at Osmo.com as we are here to break down UFC 258, which, of course, is on Saturday night inside the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. Of course, there on the right-hand side of the screen, you see your friend, my friend, the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. Pete, uh, how, how you doing here on this Thursday evening, just uh, 48 hours away from, uh, you know, live fights? Yeah, what's going on? What's going on, everybody? Uh, thanks for joining us. We have a uh, pay-per-view card with a uh, fight night feel to it. But, um, you know, I, I, I am excited for some of the fights. We do have some ugly matchups, and we do, uh, you know, there are some low-level fights, in my opinion, but, you know, some good fighters to target for DFS. God, I felt like on my podcast this week, I was being a little negative, Nancy, <laughs> in terms of the quality of this car. So I'm, I'm just glad you said it, and I didn't say it because premium main event, no question. Great yeah. main event. The rest of this car, you know what this car needed? Corey Sanhagen versus Frankie Edgar. Yeah, I agree. I think if they pushed that back, it would have made, made a lot of sense. I mean, not too often do you see me question about purchasing a pay-per-view. And, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm pinching pennies over here and I'm like, you know, maybe I won't get the pay-per-view. I don't know. It'll be quite a, quite a, uh, a feat if I do not get the pay-per-view because I'm such a big fight fan, but I'll probably end up getting it. And then, you know, they'll laugh to the bank. That thought has crossed my mind. Yeah, I know. Like I, I literally, I go, man, I, the main event's a great main event. And I mean, look, I, I think that Patolo and Marquez is going to be a fun fight as long as it does last. But 
man, it's just, it, it's, it's a pay-per-view that to me is missing that counter punch of a fight. Like you think back to last month, you know, you had the, the, the Chandler debut and had that counter punch to the main event. So, uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, we'll see how these fights go. Of course, we're going to break down all these fights throughout, uh, the next 50 minutes or so as we lead you up to the NBA late slate live before lock show. Of course, uh, be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on YouTube. Of course, if you're not subscribed to Osmo, got to hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell so you know when a new show is live on the channel. And uh, got a little notification right before the show, Pete. MMA, MMA projections are free all week this week over at Osmo.com. So you got to check out that. And of course, while you're there, you got to check out all Pete's great content he's got up there as well. You know, particularly uh, Takedown City, which I know someone's already asked a question about who is going to take down city, but let's get right into this Pete, the main event, Kamaru Usman defending the welterweight title against Gilbert Burns. Of course, uh, these two guys uh, used to be teammates at one point down there at, at Sanford MMA. They were supposed to fight back in July of last year. Gilbert Burns, you know, you look at the, the beginning half of last year, he was well on his way, potentially uh, being the fire of the year. You look at how he started off his 2020. Of course, the injury ultimately did not allow him to compete there in July. So the fight is here. So, uh, Pete, let's get your analysis on this one. Yeah, you know, I'm excited for the main event. I really am. Uh, anytime you have two guys that um, know each other so well, it makes for a very exciting fight. But also sometimes, you know, it depends on how friendly they are. And I, I think that, you know, Kamaru Usman is a very hungry guy and wants to maintain being a champion. And uh, I think that since a belt is on the line, it makes things a little bit more intense. Whereas, like, if you have, you know, friends fighting that's not for a belt, Sometimes you can get caught up in a playful sparring match. And we have seen, uh, you know, jump somebody to think of like Cowboy Cerrone in a couple of fights, just being a little too playful. Um, but in this fight, you have Kamar Usman, who is like the king of pace. He has an incredible pace. Um, you know, I'll say that he's an okay striker, but I know that he has been working with Trevor Whitman a lot and has really refined his striking. And Whitman has some of the best boxing, uh, you know, training and, and best best boxing advice out there. So I'm really excited to see, you know, Kamar Usman with a full camp and a second camp with uh, Trevor Whitman here. Um, but, I mean, the tail of the tape is really about Kamar Usman's wrestling. That's what he does. He grinds you against the cage, and then he takes you down relentless pace, um, throws tons of ground strikes. Uh, but, you know, Gilbert Burns is a dangerous guy, and, um, you know, he knows what Kamar Usman's plan is going to be. It's can he stop the takedowns? I think he can stop some. I don't know if he can stop all of them. I mean, you're talking about a five-round fight, trying to avoid being on your back with Kamaru Usman for 25 minutes. You know, the likelihood is you're going to be on your back. So I think that, you know, Burns needs to try to get back to his feet quickly and not try to play jiu-jitsu off of his back too much because I think he'll end up getting beaten up from the bottom. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an exciting fight. I think that Burns definitely has the power edge over Kamaru Usman, but I think that Usman striking and just the pace of everything uh, – you know, it's going to be an exciting fight. Six straight main event for mm -hmm. Kamaro Usman. Uh, when you look at this, uh, you know, six in the last five of uh, five round fights he's had, he's gone all 25 minutes in every single one of those fights. I think that's something to take in here. I did want to ask you a question about these two guys being training partners because obviously yeah. you're the fire, you, you'll have direct, you know, you have knowledge of this. When two guys who have trained together before, and I was thinking about this more from a Gilbert Burns aspect, of Usman likely knows 
all the tricks that Gilbert Burns want to go on the ground. What's he like to go to where it's a you know a triangle choke, a rear naked choke, whatever the submission tip may be? How much does that favor Kamar Usman that he basically knows or knows a majority of all the traps that Gilbert Burns may like to put in to eventually get a submission? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I know that Gilbert Burns really is like a jiu-jitsu mind over there at Sanford MMA, and uh, a lot of the fighters there rely on Gil, you know, the Burns brothers to help them with their jiu-jitsu. Um, I, I can say it works both ways, though. I can't, you can't say it helps Kamaru and doesn't help Gilbert. I, I think it works both ways. Um, I'm sure that they both have some tricks up their sleeves. As far as like, you know, the number one submission, like, uh, you know, say Gilbert Burns has an amazing triangle, but like, you know, Kamar Usman is going to be aware of that and going to look to avoid that at all costs. But, um, you know, if a guy's really good at a technique, he has tons of ways to set it up, tons of ways to trap you that he hasn't even showed you, um, you know, and uh, I- I'm excited for the fight. And I think that, you know, from a stylistic point of view, and if you look at their entire body of work, you will say that Kamar Usman probably has fought the tougher competition and the, the, the more notable names, um, until recently, you have uh, Gilbert Burns taking out Damian Maya, And then Tyron Woodley was kind of like where he exploded onto the scene. And that momentum was so amazing. And, and, you know, a lot of people were calling for immediate title shot and thinking that he's going to be the guy to take out Kamar Usman. He very well could be. Um, I think that they both have improved since the last time they've trained with one another. But it's a different thing when you're training with somebody and then it's under the lights. I mean, like there are plenty of people that you completely destroy in the gym, but it all matters about that night come fight night under the lights. And when you're not really having to pull punches and you're not having to baby each other and you're, you know, like, yeah, Kamar Usman absolutely dominated all the wrestling scrambles against Gilbert Burns. I can guarantee you that. But now you add ground and pound, heavy ground and pound into that. Now you really have to think about how that's going to, uh, you know, play out in the fight. Looking at the DFS salaries in terms of this one, so over on DraftKings, nine thousand for Usman, seventy two hundred for Burns, FanDuel twenty one dollars for Usman, eighteen dollars for Burns, and over on Super Draft, the multiplier on Kamar Usman one point oh five times and one point six times for Burns. Uh, let's just let's just say you're playing in a twenty max, mm-hmm. whether it's DraftKings, whether it's FanDuel, whatever. How much of shares of this fight do you need to have? I think, I think I'm going to, you know, have 100% shares. I, that's just me. I'm an aggressive DFS player. I like to make stands because, you know, more often than not, I'm correct. Um, especially in this sport. And then like, you know, me having more possibilities and more lineups with fighters that I think are pivotal to taking down an optimal, you know, I think that you need the main event. I mean, you got, you got the king of pace and Kamaru Usman and then Gilbert Burns, you know, his finishing ability whether it's via striking or uh, via submission, I think that at his price point, it makes both guys. I thought Kamar Usman's salary is going to be extremely high, and I thought Burns was going to be even lower. Um, I'm happy with both of their salaries. So I will be targeting this fight 100% just because that's how I am. And, you know, out of, let's say, out of 10 contests, if I was just doing 10, I'd probably lean eight of my contest will be Kamar Usman. I am backing Kamar Usman quite a bit here. I just think that he hasn't really shown any vulnerability in the cage. You can say that his striking defense sometimes, like, you know, he's not, he's not an amazing striker, but that's why he went to Trevor Whitman to kind of refine that t- technique. The only worry of mine is, uh, you know, maybe the, the level of, of training partners that Kamar Usman has surrounding him now 
versus, you know, Gilbert Burns being around the same team, Sanford MMA, and you've seen that gym kind of explode on the scene. So, you know, that's my thoughts on it. I love Gilbert Burns as a pump play, though. I think that he's an amazing play. I know when I was doing a, a crunch a little earlier today and putting in the projections and, uh, you know, then putting in. So, you know, when, when I go into fantasy cruncher, here's what I do is I'll put in the projections and then I put in 20% randomness and mm-hmm. I go two unique fighters per lineup. And I want to say Usman on DK was at about 69%. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think if you're not too comfortable with, with uh, Usman, you know, that's a, that's a fair percentage. Um, and it allows you to get different with your lineups. Um, you know, I, I always say prioritize main event and co-main event underdogs. I think that they are some of the best, you know, spots on the slate from an underdog standpoint. And I think that Gilbert Burns, you know, if he cracks Kamar Usman, he could definitely snatch up a neck or, you know, it's, it's an interesting fight. We'll have to see how it plays out. Speaking of the underdog in the co-main event, that's going to be Macy Barber. She's 7,900 on DK, taking on Alexa Grosso, who's 8,300, pretty uh, similar on FanDuel, $16 for Grosso, 15 for Barber, and then over on Superdraft, 1.45 times for Macy, 1.3 times for Alexa Grosso. And I was looking at betting line movements since the lines opened, and Macy Barber, one of the most notable movements that we have seen she opened plus 160. She's now plus 100. Pete, break down the fight for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, knee-jerk reaction. I, I'm thinking, like, you know, I really think Alexa Grasso can do a lot in the feet and maybe, you know, outpoint her opponent here, you know, because you just have that that distant memory of the Roxanne Waterferry fight with, with Macy Barber. But granted, she did injure her knee significantly in that bout. But prior to that, we can't ignore the fact that you know, Roxanne Waterferry was landing some, uh, some good combinations. Um, she was definitely, you know, hitting Macy Barber quite a bit. And if Roxanne Waterferry is hitting Macy Barber, y- you can, you can bet that Alexa Grasso is going to hit you. Alexa Grasso has some really, really strong boxing. Um, you know, the one thing around Alexa Grasso is that she gets taken to the mat and held on her back quite a bit. And I think that Macy Barber's ability to kind of dictate where the fight goes is why she's an appealing underdog here. 7,900, I think that, you know, she's a co-main event underdog. I talk about it all the time. And uh, there's there's a reason that a lot of money is coming in on her because you can see that when her striking's not working, she can resort to the wrestling. And I can actually give you some uh, some insider info of who she's been working with. So, like, she's been working with uh, Israel, Coach Izzy, for her wrestling. And Coach Izzy has really helped out a lot of people. Um, you think about Anthony Pettis, the Pettis brothers used to train with him a lot. Um, in addition to that, she's been working with uh, Mike Valley, who is uh, a friend of mine. I've actually, you know, cornered with him a little bit, uh, you know, cornered my friend Bobby Huron. But uh, Macy, Macy Barber is working with him. And Coach Mike Valley is, is, is really, really good. Like he's a high-level striking coach. And I think that he can really – make Macy Barber striking and take it to another level. And you actually saw it on the embedded that, you know, they're working some nice hand combinations. She's always been an aggressive striker, definitely holds the uh, finishing rate over here in this fight. Uh, Macy Barber, 88% finish rate, whereas Alexa Grasso, 33% finish rate. Um, you know, my worry is that Alexa Grasso keeps it on the feet somehow and does kind of have, I don't know, the cleaner boxing and uh, you know, maybe the ring rust is a factor here, Jason, but I, I like Macy Barber here, 7,900. I just think that she has so many ways to win, has a slight advantage in the output, 
has an advantage in the finishing rate and definitely has an advantage in the wrestling department. Yeah, when I initially looked at the betting odds, or excuse me, the, the DraftKings odds, because when I looked initially, we didn't have FanDuel odds. FanDuel odds now ha- yeah. have come out. I, and, I, you know, I always kind of, I'm looking at the very top end, what are those top end salaries? And then I, then I go right down to the under 8,000. And she was one of the fires that really stuck out to me because, I mean, look, we, we have a very short-term memory in this sport. We remember the last thing we saw out of yeah. Macy Barber. And the last thing we saw is, you know, she hurts her knee, loses to Roxanne Matafari. Was it was it so much about injuring herself in the fight, or was it just, hey, you took on a vet who's got a, a ton of experience, and you know what, you just you just couldn't, you, you didn't have it on that night. Um, you know, I just, it, it's one of those fights that if this stays on the feet, Pete, with the DraftKings scoring system, because we were, we were talking about this earlier this week, is you know, the one thing that kind of you know hurts us as DFS players with the new DK scoring system is, you know, in the previous system, you got 0.5 points for significant strikes. Well, now it's only 0.2 for significant strikes, 0.2 for total strikes. You just wish it was 0.25 for each to kind of balance things out a little bit. But, you know, could this could could the winner of this fight be in the optimal lineup? Yeah, I think I think the winner can, and I think the winner can because uh, you know Alexa Grasso has good volume. Um, she also has some decent jujitsu as well. Like she can scramble well, work towards some submissions. Uh, I think that the if it stays on the feet, though, the likelihood of it being optimal is slim, um, unless somebody gets a finish, of course. And I would have to lean Macy Barber in that instant. But I think that Macy Barber is going to really, you know, implement some takedowns, get some control time, some good top pressure potentially work towards a TKO victory of trying to, uh, you know, elbow her from the top. She's done that to a lot of her opponents. Uh, She has some excellent ground and pound. It's just, are we banking too much on Macy Barber to kind of come back off of an ACL injury and kind of just pick up where she left off against a tough fighter? Like I I don't, I don't want people to think that Alexa Grasso is a bad fighter because she's not, she has good boxing. And she's pretty good overall. She just gets taken down, you know, a decent amount. And, uh, you know, she has really, really good boxing. She probably has the better technique of the two. Of course, this is the MMA DFS strategy show right here on awesomeo.com. And, of course, if you want to get access to all the great tools and content we have over awesomeo.com, you got to sign up for an Awesome Plus weekly pass for twenty nine ninety five. gives you access to all our ownership projections, player projections, all the great tools that have made Alex Osmo Baker the number one DFS player in the world. These are the tools that he uses on the daily to put together all of his lineups. And we do have a great promo going over there right now in uh, with the Daytona 500 coming up this weekend. You can get half off Osmo Plus NASCAR Pass Weekly Pass. That's four ninety five free Osmo NASCAR Plus. Weekly pass four ninety eight for everything you have to offer for the NASCAR Daytona five hundred coming up this weekend on Sunday. Uh, by the way, I'll be hosting a strategy show on Saturday. Uh, that'll be at twelve p.m. and then all, coming up on Sunday we'll have live before lock, which is, I want to say is at one thirty. So you see it there right on the screen. Sign up right now. Get that Awesome Plus NASCAR weekly pass for half off. For four dollars and ninety eight cents, all you gotta do is use that promo code Daytona. So uh, I'll be uh, I'll be busy here, grind here in the office this weekend between uh, NASCAR 
and the UFC. Let's move on to the next matchup. We got a middleweight matchup of Kelvin Gaslam taking on Ian Heinish. Kelvin Gaslam, 8,800 on DK, 7,400 on DraftKings. I know this is a fight that me and Pete were kind of talking a little bit about earlier this week, and I think this is also, Pete, another fight. You know, you got to kind of take in the, the DK scoring system, particularly with what you probably likely expect from Kelvin Gaslam. But uh, how, how do you see this fight going? Yeah, I'm excited for this fight. I've been a Kelvin Gastelum fan for a while. It's actually my mom's favorite fighter next to me. Um, she loves Kelvin Gastelum. And uh, I like Kelvin a lot, too. Um, I think that he has some incredible wins in the UFC. Um, and if you go back to the Ultimate Fighter, he's kind of always been, like, counted out and emerged as, like, a top talent. He has great boxing, good wrestling. Um, but over the years, he started to rely on his hands instead of, you know, going to that wrestling well. Um you know, he over, he overwhelms his opponents a lot. He's just in a rough patch right now, Jason. And, uh, you know, this rough patch, you wonder how it's going to affect him mentally. Uh, I listened to what he was saying on the embedded series and he was talking about how he was really doing a lot of work mentally. So it sounds like he hired like a, uh, you know, so, so like a mental coach or something like that mm-hmm. to kind of help him get overcome this stuff. And I think that's smart, especially when you're at the top level, you want every advantage possible. So 8,800 for Kelvin Gastelum, you know, 67% finish rate. It's kind of like low after what you think of, you know, you think of Kelvin Gastelum just knocking people out and putting them away, but that's a, that's an okay finishing percentage. Uh, you know, Ian Heinish coming in 50% finish rate. So I understand what you're saying. Uh, it could be a lot of clinch work against the cage. Uh, it could be back and forth contest. Um, Heinish has been, you know, kind of on the up, whereas Gastelum has been on the, on the decline. I still can't get over, you know, Kelvin Gastelum losing here. I just think that, you know, his boxing is so crisp. I remember what Derek Brunson was doing to Ian Heinish in several instances in that fight. Um, you know, I always po- I always say that lefties pose a big problem to righties um, because you're not able to find big lefties or lefties in general to emulate the sparring. And the angles are differently. Uh, you have to basically change your entire game plan to make sure you're not running into that left hand. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kelvin Gastelum knock him out here. I, I really wouldn't. It might be a – you almost have forgot how good Kelvin Gastelum is. I'm not a big Ian Heinish guy this week. Are you? I, I, I want to potentially blow your mind away with a little stat here. Okay, let's hear I it. I don't know if you, you realize this. So Kelvin Gastelum has 10 wins in the UFC. Mm-hmm. How many of those wins are against fighters who are still in the UFC? Probably like four. Too high, bro. Really? Two. Two. Uriah Hall and Jacare Souza. Okay, well, Bisping retired, so yeah. That's why I said they're still in the UFC. Yeah, Bisping's yeah, retired. yeah, yeah. Okay. His his wins in the UFC, Uriah Hall, Brian Melanson, Rick Story, Nico Muskoki, Jake Ellenberger, who's retired, Nate Marquardt retired, Johnny Hendricks retired, Tim Kennedy retired, Bisping retired, Jacare Souza. Yeah, I mean, the trend is that, you know, Kellen Gaslam's fighting these big names at the tail end of their careers or kind of when they are starting to falter a little bit. And it makes sense. And, you know, I would, I, you know, I can't ignore what you just said. It is the truth. Um, you know, Heinish is a hungry guy and Heinish always brings it each fight. So Kellen definitely needs to uh, go back to his roots, uh, maybe mix, mix in some takedowns, stay, stay technical on the feet. But, like, if you think about that Israel Adesanya fight, Jason, I can't get over how competitive that fight was and how it was, you know, narrowly even at, you know, 
two apiece going into the fifth. So I, I think that Kelvin Gastelum's in a good spot here. I just hope that, you know, the losses haven't really taken away that, that confidence. Uh, Miles has a question about this fight. He says, how likely is it that Gaslam is optimal with the win? Well, he would need to finish here. Um, 8,800. Um, I don't really, these, both these guys have a wrestling background. So it may be some weird transitions or some weird scrambles. Um, but they all, but they get taken down at a decent clip, but they have some horrible takedown accuracy. Uh, according to the sheet, 37% for Kelvin Gla- uh, Gaslam, 19% for Ian Heinrich. So that could lead to a lot of sloppiness in the clinch against the cage. Um, granted, we are in the small cage at the apex, so clinching will be increased here. So that's something to take into consideration for each fight. That's why I like Kamar Usman in the top out, in the top out. Let's move on to a lightweight matchup. Jim Miller versus Bobby Green. Jim Miller, 7,300. Bobby Green, 8,900 over on FanDuel, $20 for Bobby Green, $9 for Jim Miller. Uh, When I look at fighters under 8K, Jim Miller sticks out for Pete. (laughs) I'm just going to say this right now. If you want to just make two prop bets on this fight, go ahead and make the prop bet of Jim Miller wins by submission round one. Because if Jim Miller wins by finish, it will be in round one. Or take Jim Miller by split decision because you know Bobby Green does tend to lose split decisions. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. And I think that, you know, an 8900 price tag for Bobby Green, he has let us down in the past because he just plays around a little too much and uh, he plays games. And it goes to show you that he really just enjoys himself out there. Um Instead of putting a stamp on wins, he allows his opponents back into the fights. And that's always a worry. And that's something that you have to worry about here against Jim Miller, obviously. Um, you know, I just can't see how Jim Miller submits Bobby Green. I do think that Jim Miller has phenomenal BJJ, but he's not knocking out Bobby Green. And I'll be very, very surprised if he submits him because, you know, Bobby Green has good jiu-jitsu, good grappling overall. I just think he's going to have a pace advantage against Jim Miller. I think Jim Miller, right? You know, not a horrible long shot by any means, so I, I don't hate the call. Um, I respect it. I just think, like, Jim Miller outside of round one, he falls off a cliff, and maybe Bobby Green just completely starts to, you know, you know, like wear on him and kind of chip away at him. And I, I think that Bobby Green in a three-round fight, as long as he gets out of round one, it's his fight. So I, I like Bobby Green just for DFS, not my favorite pick. Uh, Miles checking with his hot take of the card, and boy, this is a hot take. He says, Bobby, and this is Bobby Green submits Jim Miller. Yeah, don't see it happening. I I could see it happening, and I could see it happening. Let me pull up my fighter background piece. Uh, I strongly recommend you guys going over to awesome.com. I've been releasing a ton of content, and I go and I dive into all their fights and all the outcomes for their fights. So let me pull this up. Um, Bobby Green submits his opponents at a 23% uh, time. Um, Jim Miller has only been submitted 6% of the time. So I get it. But he has been submitted. And I feel like Jim Miller kind of has wilted under pressure in some fights, like when the going gets tough and somebody's kind of just outpacing him. I could definitely see Bobby Green getting mm, – I got to be careful with my words. I can see Bobby Green getting a decisive victory, but I don't know about a finish. You you know, I got to bring up the Bobby Green stat, right? 
What is it? September the 6th, or excuse me, November the 6th, 2013. Last time Bobby Green's won by finish. Yeah, see, it's not, it's not a bet I would get behind. I, I don't think that he's – it's a hot take, and that's the reason it's a hot take, but that's why, like, you know, if you hit on it correctly, I, I will say that people are underestimating Bobby Green's grappling, 100%. He's, he's very, very talented. So it's Bobby Green for me, and uh, move on. That's it. Look, I did like what Bobby Green said. He goes, I ain't – I'm not chasing championships. I'm chasing the paydays. Yeah. I'm like, I, you know, he's just beat us with you. So, but yeah, look, I, I, I just think that I think there's, there's some decent value there on Jim Miller. Um, I think Bobby Green does have value on FanDuel potentially with, with, with takedown defenses mm-hmm. in, in that one. So I think that's something you got to pay attention to. But I, I think in terms of DFS, I, I just don't know how much you, you can have faith in Bobby Green in terms of, you know, getting a, a hundred point type performance. And, and to be optimal with you there. Next up uh, will be the opening fight of the pay-per-view. That will be Maki Patolo taking on Julian Marquez. Uh, Julian Marquez, first fight in 31 months. He's 8,700 on DK. Maki Patolo, 7,500. Uh, and, of course, it's it's coconut bombs. And someone already saying, say, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Saying I'm going to be excited to talk about this one because these boys be throwing them bungalows. I was thinking about this earlier. I think on the outside looking in, you definitely can see that. But I do wonder if Julian Marquez is going to potentially go the takedown route at some point to try to mix it up here a little bit. And when I talked to Julian Marquez, I thought one of the the more interesting things that he mentioned to me is talking about, you know, he did his camp all at Glory uh, and Main Fitness there in Missouri under leadership of James Krause was not at Extreme Couture in Vegas where he had you know previously done some training at. And he talked about how basically James Krause is like, look, bro, you do not have to throw every punch at a thousand percent. Yeah. You know, take take a little bit off it. Um, because he actually he he was talking about his back injury. And basically there were doctors who told him his career was over. Yeah. He ended up going to a surgeon that was a baseball guy to help him and because they were talking about so how much of your your torque in your punches actually comes from your lower back. And, uh, you know, this, but this is a fight that, and I told you this earlier this week, I, I think in terms of GPPs, this is a fight you got, you got, I think you have to have the winner of this fight. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's a nice spot for lineups. Um, I do think that Marquez, I, it's, it's crazy to think that he's in the same weight class as Maki Patolo. Cause like, I don't know. It's like, I just think that he's such a big guy for the division. I feel like he's a massive man. And, like, automatically after looking at him, I feel like he's a light heavyweight. But he makes 185 pounds. He uh, stands at 6'2". Um, you know, he's a big boy. But, uh, you know, Maki Patolo is a game opponent. And, you know, we've seen Maki Patolo at 185 pounds in the past. Um, I think he feels more comfortable there. He might still be a little undersized. But, um, you know, Marquez at Glory MMA I think is a great move. We talk about our love for James Krause all the time. Like, I love his coaching style. Um and I think that a lot of people will only view James Krause as the striker, but not the mind and not the cage grappler. 
I think the cage grappling and the wall work is something that is going overlooked completely because James Krause has an entire system of wall work. He has chaining takedowns. He has uh, a system of takedowns of how to defend takedowns against the wall or against the cage. And I think that a guy, a big guy, Julian Marquez, can start to you know utilize that, whether it's defensively or offensively. You know that the power's there, the striking's there. He has a notable win over Phil Hawes. You saw that on the Contender Series. And you think of what Phil Hawes has kind of turned into. He's an incredible fighter. So, uh, you know, it's a huge win, and it aged really well. But I, I do think that having a great mind in uh, James Krause is, is awesome. It makes me like Marquez, despite him coming off of such a long layoff. You know, I've been there with long layoffs and, uh, you know, you, you know, Marquez just wants to get back in there. I hope that he's not too eager and tries to go out there and just let it fly in round one. And he takes his time and, uh, you know, has a consistent pace with the James Krause pace. And if he does that, he should win this fight handily. I definitely will have Maki Pitolo as well in plenty of lineups because he has excellent volume, excellent power for the division. Uh, you look at Marquez's finishing rate, 100%. Patolo's finish rate, 77%. So like you said, I love the fight. I'm targeting it a bunch. I am favoring Marquez. I think that having James Krause be a part of the entire camp and the corner, it's going to play, it's going to pay dividends. And I think it's going to be a Marquez victory. So we're 80% ish shares in terms of this fight. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to go 80 because I do think that, you know, it, it, there's a big question mark uh, surrounding the layoff and injury. how, healthy is he i know that he's saying he's healthy i would probably go like a 60 40 so i am leaning marquez but i do think it's a close fight patola is not a bad dog at all i think at 7500 you could do worse i like the ownership on julian marquez just just peaked at what our ownership was there Ooh, I, I like that number i like that number of course you got to uh, sign up for ma weekly pass or a, or a full awesome plus weekly pass to get access to that one i'll just say Ooh, I like those numbers over there. I like those numbers I'm seeing on uh, Julia Marquez. Of course, uh, yeah, be sure to follow Osmo on Twitter, which is at Osmo underscore com, as we are approaching 30,000 followers on Twitter. And we are going to give away 30 free weekly pass to our followers. So head over right now, Osmo underscore com, and give us a follow. Let's move on to the next matchup, Pete. And that'll be Vieira versus Hernandez. Vieira, 9,300, 6,900 for Hernandez. Um, what's your thoughts on potential deficiencies with Vieira? Yeah, so it's clear. Um, amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner, not so great striking. And, uh, you know, he's a liability on the feet. So you worry about him moving forward facing, you know, the upper echelon of strikers. But I don't know if Anthony Hernandez is the guy that can kind of take advantage of a situation like this. I think that Hernandez, you know, he's a well-rounded fighter, but it's like a low, you know, like he's low level in all areas. So like, he's okay everywhere. Like predominantly he likes to go the grappling route and has some tricky submissions up his sleeve, but attempting to do that against uh, Hodolfo Vieira is just a recipe for a disaster. You don't want to go there. You don't want him to grab a hold of you. You need to just keep it in the middle and look to strike. So I do think that Hernandez has a clear path to victory, it's just don't let Vieira touch you. So like that's, that's like the that's only simple. path to victory. So yeah, it's and in a small cage. I think that's very difficult to do. I think that Vieira is priced, you know, appropriately 9,300, you know, his, his uh, finishing rate sits at hundred percent. He's seven and oh, um, the guy is possibly, you know, top three jujitsu practitioners in all of MMA. 
And uh, I, I'm so fascinated with his game. It's just two deficiencies, striking, absolutely, whether it's offensively or defensively. And then, you know, the the middling wrestling, like the wrestling chaining takedowns together is okay. It, it could definitely get better, but um, I'm sure that he's worked on something. I, I don't think that he's just completely ignoring, you know, his deficiencies for training camp. Yeah, it's uh the ninety three hundred dollar price tag twenty three dollars over on Fanduel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still think that it's a good spot. I mean, if you if you look at Hernandez's career, right? You know, he had some success on the regional scene, but you know, go, coming into the UFC, not so much. I mean, he was submitted against Marcus Perez in the second round. Marcus Perez isn't a bad jujitsu practitioner, but he's not Rodolfo Vieira. So that does not give me confidence that Hernandez can avoid this mission. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's levels above both of them. Um, so I, I think that Vieira, he's in a, he's in a really good spot to get a quick victory. Um, but obviously if he can't get the fight to the ground, the likelihood of him winning, it gets slimmer and slimmer by the minutes. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at Anthony Hernandez, he has shown the ability to take the fight to the ground. We had a fight with six takedowns. I was just kind of thinking as you were talking is, I mean, look, you've talked about this before. Jiu-Jitsu guys necessarily don't have great takedowns. Mm -hmm. So could Anthony Hernandez over on FanDuel at $9 be a punt play in cash? Yeah, 100%. It definitely could be, you know, he could definitely be a punt, a punt play. Um, it's, it's crazy to see a guy, have so much success regionally that come into the UFC and just look completely just outclassed. And I mean, there are levels you do see that sometimes, but coming from a good promotion in uh, LFA, you had, you tend to have high expectations for fighters coming out of that. That's, that's like a top regional organization. So, uh, you know, being a champ in LFA means something. So $9, you could do worse. The likelihood of him winning is really, 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 really small, but, this is MMA. Anything can happen. I'll probably throw Hernandez in one lineup just just for fun, but uh, I I will get to plenty of Vieira at uh, ninety three hundred. Uh, let's move on. Next up, we got Bilal Muhammad taking on Diego Lima. Bilal Muhammad, one of the biggest favorites on the card, ninety two hundred seven thousand for Diego Lima, twenty two dollars and eight dollars respectively over on FanDuel. Uh, break this one down for us, Pete. Yeah, so uh, Bilal Muhammad, a guy that just is so consistent in the division. He's so good. Eight and three in the UFC um, fighting, you know, Diego Lima, who is okay everywhere. Uh, definitely not his brother by any means. And I feel bad because I like Lima a lot. And I know everybody says the same thing. He's not his brother. He's not his brother. I feel bad because there's always like when you have brothers fighting, who's the better of the two. So he's the lesser Lima, but um you know, he has shown the ability to get some big wins. You know, you think about him knocking out Chad LaPreeze on the Ultimate Fighter. I, I really like the guy, so I'm always rooting for him. I, I do think that he has a lot of skills. He just doesn't really put it together that well under the lights. Um, on a streak right now, so I understand why the UFC is matching these guys. I think it's kind of like, well, let's let's really see if Diego Lima is uh, going to go, what's he, going to go four wins in a row, which would be absolutely insane. Getting a win over Bilal Muhammad, who brings great pace, good boxing, uh, but relentless takedowns. That's really how he solidifies rounds and gets wins. I, I don't see how Lima can really keep it on the feet. If he keeps it on the feet, he's shown the ability to knock people out. So there's always a chance. There's always a puncher's chance. 
But Bilal Muhammad here at 9,200 hasn't been the best DFS guy, you know, usually. But now that you got control time and you think about numbers of takedowns and about a guy that's really struggled against strong wrestlers, maybe Muhammad's an overlooked guy at 9,200. And I'll take advantage of some people maybe not, you know, punching him in their lineups and just hopes that maybe he can get a finish. That Muhammad really can't get too many finishes in his career. If you look at it, 17 and three overall. 29% finish rate, not the best rates, but guess what? Rates change, records are broken, things happen. You know, Diego Lima could wilt under the pressure and, uh, you know, Muhammad could get a TKO. But I still think that a control-based fight does favor Muhammad and should give him a reasonable score. Appreciate everyone is hitting here on a Thursday night watching the show live. Of course, uh, be sure to hit that thumbs up button. That does help us out a lot. Of course, also be sure to subscribe to Oswald right here on YouTube. Hit that notification bell so you know when a new show is live on the channel. Uh, Pete, I got I got an idea for you. I, I really feel like as these evolution of Pete the Heat articles come, are we going to get a, an article armbar from guard at some point? <laughs> if we were going to get an article you know, talking about arm bars from guard, then this matchup we're about to get to between Mallory Martin and Poliana Viana would be the headliner right there because that is – I'm glad you, you brought it up, and I think that this fight would definitely be a talking point for that article. Yeah, I'm just I'm just teeing you up here, Pete. That's all I'm doing. I'm just teeing you up right here. Um, yeah, you, you know, know eight, I, eight. I'm excited for this fight. It's a tricky fight. I mean, I'm not really fond of either one of these fighters as far as their promise in the division. I think that a lot of people like what they see from Mallory Martin, and I, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Like I'm just, she's okay. Um, she has what seems to be good wrestling, um, a good top game. Uh, her striking's a, a little underwhelming. Uh, you think about what Hannah Cyphers did in that bout, uh, you know, clipping her. Um, and H- Hannah Cyphers is so so tough, and people always talk about how tough she is, and that she is better than her record to a point. Because while she's standing up, she'll give you a tough fight. It's just putting her where she's vulnerable on the mat. So standing up, she definitely took advantage of that and uh, cracked Martin. And Martin was in a load of trouble, was probably looking at a defeat there. So she's lucky that in the next round, the following round, Mm -hmm. she came out and said, guess what? I got to take you to the mat. I got to execute some top pressure and then start to work towards the finish. And she did. So I like how she's game and didn't quit when the going got tough. Um, I, I do. I will say that Poliana Viana is probably the better striker of the two. She mixes in some kicks, so she has like more of a Muay Thai background where Mallory Martin relies more on her hands. This is a low-level fight, guys. It really is a low-level fight. Boy, Viana, in 11 victories, has 100% uh, finish rate. So you could do worse than a punt play at 7,600 with a girl who has supposedly bla- a, a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So... The submission is always there. I can just foresee Valerie Martin doing enough on the feet, being the stronger, more physical of the two in the clinch and getting some takedowns and maintaining some top pressure. You know, it's not a spot that I love. It's not a fight that I love. I'll have some exposure to Biana, but my pick would be uh, Martin just getting takedowns and uh, solidifying control to win rounds. I guess with that thought of the takedowns though, because of kind of this DraftKings scoring system, because yeah. I will tell you, I see a lot of decisions on Saturday night. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be a long night, man. Well, uh, and sometimes these cards that you think are going to be decision cards end up popping and they end up being amazing. Um, but 
I mean, we have a lot of notorious fighters that go the distance. I mean, you got Bobby Green, Bilal Muhammad. Uh, you know what I mean? So we'll see. Yeah, Kamaru Usman. You know what I mean? Like things can change, but I think the optimal lineup won't be as nearly high as it has been. Yeah. Uh, move on. Next up, we got a matchup between Andre Ull and Chris Gutierrez. 7,800 for Andre Ull, 8,400 for Chris Gutierrez. Over on FanDuel, interesting uh, salary difference here. 17 for Gutierrez, $12 for Andre Ull. Um, this was actually, this is a fight that's essentially been a year in the making between these two guys. Now, Andre, of course, was supposed to fight uh, last weekend, uh, but there was a, an issue with his COVID test, so he was pulled from that car. So now he's in the spot against Chris Gutierrez. So about February of last year, Chris Gutierrez is like, I want to fight Andre Ull because he had just fought his teammate in Jonathan Martinez. Uh, very close, what some people would call controversial decision between those two. Uh, but the stat that in terms of, of this fight, and I know Pete, you have it there in your heat sheet, is there is a major reach advantage in this one for Andre Ull. Yeah, I have been struggling with this fight, and I'm always honest about which fights I'm I'm having a difficult time breaking down. Now, um, Andre Ewell has an eight-inch reach advantage, like you were speaking of, and uh, in addition to having an eight-inch reach advantage, he is a southpaw. So you hear me say it all the time: when guys are lefties, things are tricky. Things are tricky, and especially when they're a long lefty. And Andre Ewell fits that bill, and. Uh, you know, you have a predominantly a boxer in Andre Yule fighting uh, Chris Gutierrez in a kickboxer. He likes to throw a ton of kicks. His hands, he hasn't really shown off too, too much. He will mix them in and faint and fake in order to set up his kicks. But he's predominantly a kicker. So you got a puncher against a kicker. Now, I think that the range and the distance of Andre Yule could definitely pose some problems for Gutierrez here. I've been going back and forth, Jason, so I'm going to have exposure to both sides, and I could see a path to victory for both of these. I could see Andre Ewell's volume and his length being an issue for Chris Gutierrez because when you're a kicker and you're not setting up your kicks a lot with hands, you're throwing, um, you're throwing naked kicks. So you're throwing the kicks. You're going to be susceptible to shots, long shots straight down the middle. And I think that Andre Ewell's length, and he, he does time a nice straight left hand down the middle. He did catch Rivera quite a bit with that. Um, obviously, you always have to think of the stances. So you have a lefty against a righty. Chris Gutierrez switches stances a lot, so he will be throwing that low left calf kick now because he, he will you know mimic that southpaw stance. But in doing so, I just think that he could get beat to the kick where he could just get you know hit with a couple shots and he could have his rhythm disrupted by Andre Yule. Now, in saying that, I can kind of be devil's advocate and talk about the other side. Chris Gutierrez, whenever you're facing a boxer, they're really heavy on their front leg. So you want to beat up that front leg. So, I mean, it's it's all about who implements their game plan that night. I'm going to have exposure to both sides just because I really can't decide, but I am targeting Yule a little bit more. I Like, I think that a lot of people might be high on Gutierrez, and I'm okay with 7,800 Andre Ull. I, I am as well in, in this spot. You know, Miles mentioned, he goes, well, the fact that Ull had already been preparing for a fight be a factor in this one at all. I, I guess there's there's two folds to this. Andre Ull is preparing for a much different fighter in Cody Stamen mm-hmm. than what Chris Gutierrez is. Also, Chris Gutierrez was one of the main training partners 
for Colin Anglin when he was scheduled to fight the previous week, which of course is the fight that Eustace Law came in. So Gutierrez has been in there and look at in this this day and age, all these especially US based fighters, when it's the Las Vegas card, you know these opportunities can come along at any moment. Yeah, I, I think that they're both going to be well prepared. I think that it's a really close fight and it's a tough fight to call. And that's why I'm struggling. I just do think that the volume, the length of Andre Ewell can cause some problems with Gutierrez. Um, and Gutierrez's shot is to throw tons of kicks and hopefully they accumulate and uh, end up wearing down Andre Ewell because you can only take so many of those kicks, you know. But I don't know. We'll have to see. I can't wait for the fight. I'm actually excited for that fight third most on the entire card. Wow. Uh, of course, this is the MMA DFS strategy show. We got about 10 minutes here left in the show. Of course, if you ever do miss our show, it is a part of the also podcast network. Just go to awesome.com slash podcast to check out all the latest podcasts that we do have and leave a five-star review on one of our podcast channels for a chance to win a free month of also plus platinum. Good luck in now. And we got three more fights. We'll kind of, kind of do a little rap fire on this one. Uh, Ricky Simone versus Brian Kelleher. Uh, this is another one. I was in a way I was kind of surprised to see what the betting odds were in this one. Uh, Ricky Simone minus two forty-five. Brian Kelleher plus two Oh five. I think Brian Kelleher is not a bad dog in this opportunity. Yeah, I, I think that there's a ton of underdogs that are in great spots. It's just, can they come through? Because I definitely think that there are a ton of underdogs that have a shot. Uh, you talk about Ricky Simone, who might be one of my favorite wrestlers in the entire UFC. I just love his entire game, his relentless pressure. Um, boxes enough, throws enough punches to get your, get you thinking about you know striking defense, and then starts to implement good takedowns. I liked what he did in his previous fight against Gaetano Perella where he went in there and just completely went back to his roots of grappling. Guess what? That's what brought me to the dance, and I'm going to keep doing it. So uh, I like what I see from Ricky Simone. Now, in saying that, you know, Brian Kelleher, is uh, he's, a, he's a good wrestler as well, not nearly on the caliber of Ricky Simone, and he depends more on guillotine chokes and power punches to get his victories. Uh, you know, you, you think about Kelleher has the advantage in the finishing department, 82% finish rate, whereas Ricky Simone has a 47% finish rate. You have to have some of Kelleher because of that guillotine being live and what Ricky Simone's game plan is. Um, but for me, I think 9100 for Ricky Simone, I think it's fair. I, I think that he's just going to completely ragdoll Brian Kelleher. Um, I'll have some Kelleher, but uh, you know, it's Ricky Simone at 9100. I like the price tag. Yeah, uh, Miles had asked about uh, can, can Ricky Simone avoid the guillotine? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, he's a powerful guy, right? So like and, and, you know, whenever you're a powerful guy, if you can really launch your opponent to the side instead of up, like this is where you've seen Ricky Samoan lift his opponent straight up and then kind of just Matt Hughes him a little bit. Well, I want to see Ricky Samoan really swing the legs to really avoid that guillotine so he can land cross sides where he's out of danger. Next up, we got Gabe Green versus Phil Rowe, your favorite matchup, A208,000. <laughs> Phil Rowe is the A200 side of this one. Uh, a little different on the salary over FanDuel, where Gabe Green's $16, Phil Rowe is $14. Yeah, man, I hate this fight for DFS. The reason I hate it is because it's so difficult, because you're having a small sample size. You don't really know what to what to uh you know bank on here you had gabe green taking a fight on what two three four days notice um 
and he, he ended up looking really good and really game and uh, was able to not get knocked out. And he was hit with everything but the kitchen sink. And it was really impressive to see his durability and toughness in that fight against Daniel Rodriguez. I, I thought that that was pretty, you know, it surprised me. I, I thought that Rodriguez was going to get rid of him quickly because, you know, Gabe Green has been knocked out in the past. So has Roe. But Gabe Green, you know, he just kept going forward. He kept going forward. And it's almost like, you know, like a Darren Elkins. We talk about it. The guy that just won't go away. And the guy that won't just go away now has a full camp and is fighting a guy who has a victory on the contender series, who had to overcome some adversity. Phil Rowe in the first round against uh, Shabazian's brother was going in there and was starting to get beat to the punch and lit up on the feet, dropped, nearly finished at a point, and then comes back second round, has an amazing round. Third round ends up working towards a finish. When Phil Rowe got pissed off and he decided to throw punches because he was angry about how the first round went, he looked phenomenal. He looked phenomenal. Like his, his punches were so straight and so long that, you know, with a seven inch reach advantage over Gabe Green, he can pose some problems here. I just don't know if he's going to have that urgency. If he goes out there like a sit and duck, like he did in the first round against Shabazian, can he get hit with a big shot by Gabe Green? Absolutely. This is a fight I will probably have almost all exposure to because both these guys have hundred percent finish rates. And, uh, you know, priced at 8208000 I'm siding with Roe with his seven-inch reach advantage. I think that he can pose some problems and, you know, even in a, a decision, work towards a nice uh, nice score here. Phil Rowe, by the way, one of the bigger line, betting line movements. He opened up at minus 130. He's now plus 120. So the betting public does like Gabe Green. Now, our opening matchup of the night will be Robertson versus Maverick. Uh, Maverick's, a, a, you know, a fire that a lot of people are high on here, but... Uh, if this fight, you know, look, if Jillian, to me, if Jillian Roberts could win the fight, it means she got to the fight to the ground and she wins via submission. Yeah, it's another spot where the underdog is in a great, you know, has a has an opportunity, has a path to victory. Um, can they just seize that opportunity? It's almost like a bunch of underdogs can tease you and a lot of underdogs can look really appealing. But can they come through? I don't know if Jillian Robertson can. Um, you know, I, I do think that uh, Miranda Maverick is pretty talented. Uh, we saw she had a, a great debut, really displayed some excellent Muay Thai, good punches, good kick, good elbows. Really, the elbows are what separates her from a lot of people in that division. Jillian Robinson on the feet does not like to get hit. She does not handle pressure well. She does not handle getting hit. But guess what? More often than not, she's taking her opponents down where she doesn't have to worry about getting hit. So that is the question here, Jason. Um, you, you pose that question, can she get her opponent to the mat? I think she can one time, at least one time. Um, I, I think that Miranda Ma- Maverick, Jesus, Miranda Maverick is the more physical of the two, and I think that as long as she gets up to her feet, she seems like the hungrier fighter. Um, I like what I'm seeing out of Maverick here. At 8,500, I'll have my shares, and uh, Robertson at 7,700, I don't think is a bad play based on her path to victory on the mat. Um, it's just outside of that, sometimes. She'll get put on her back, and she's comfortable there. You think about what happened in the Tyler Santos fight, and you know there, there wasn't too much urgency. I like what I see out of Maverick. Um, granted, it's one fight. Robertson's been she has six victories and three defeats in the UFC, so you have to take that experience, you know, into consideration. But I do think that the hype is is real around uh, Miranda Maverick. 
Let's get a little rapid fire question here from uh, Samuel. Uh, appreciate you in the super chat. He's got his usual questions: top two cash, top two GPP. Who can break the slate? Pivot for the main main uh, main card fight. Top two underdogs. Who's got the best inside the distance? Uh, which champions? Uh, so we'll do kind of rapid fire. Uh, GPP. Uh, Kamaru Usman is definitely one of my two. Yeah, I think Kamaru Usman GPP or cash. Uh, I, I think that nine thousand. It's a no brainer. Yeah, and I would sit there, and and I think that uh, fire that could break the slate. I kind of like what you said a little bit earlier. Blow Muhammad. He could be the guy. Yeah, I think Muhammad is a a guy that's going to be overlooked here. I I like him here at 9,200. Uh, top underdogs for me, I- I'm looking at May- uh, Macy Barber would be uh, probably my number one. Uh, number two, I would probably, yeah, I know you don't like it, but I'll say Jim Miller. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think Macy Barber for me, 7,900. And uh, give me Andre Ewell here at 7,800 if he can keep the fight on the feet, avoid the kicks, and out-volume Gutierrez. We mentioned about we think this could be a, a lot of fights to go to the decision. Who's got the best chance to win inside the distance? Inside the distance, huh? Hmm. Gosh, there's nobody that sticks out, huh? My goodness. Um, I would say I, that I, Marquez Julian Marquez. one I think is going to be a finish. I think Marquez Batolo for sure. Yeah. So, uh, of course, we'll be back here on Saturday, live before lock, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. That is going to do it for the MMA Strategy Show. Coming up next right here on Osmo.com, it will be the NBA Late Slate, live before lock. So keep it here all night long here at awesomeo.com, and we will see you on Saturday.